welcome to the Defender Podcast, a resource to help mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm your host, Herbie Newell. It's Wednesday, December 25th, 2019. I'm Rick Morton, and this is the Defender Podcast. Merry Christmas to you from all of us at Lifeline Children's Services. We're really thankful to have the opportunity to share this podcast with you. And today we want to share with you a best of episode from April 9th, 2019. On that date, Herbie sat down with Jessica Roberts to hear about her story uh, in following Christ and as an adoptive mom. And so without further ado, let's get to the interview. Here's Herbie with Jessica Roberts. Well, I'm so grateful to be joined by Jessica Roberts, and Jessica lives in Birmingham, Alabama with Rhodes and her three daughters, and uh, one of her daughters is adopted from China, and so they have, the Roberts have gone through the adoption process and gone to China and brought this daughter home, Um, and so we just want to bring Jessica in because she has such an impactful story of what the Lord has done in her life and the way that he has used her story of redemption, even today in the life of her family and and how adoption has worked into that. So Jessica, thanks first for joining us on the Defender Podcast. Thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit about your family situation growing up and just a little bit about this history. Okay. Um, I was born into a family that had a long history of abuse, generational abuse, And not even just physical, but neglect and hard-heartedness and coldness on both sides. And so that's just the way I was brought into the world. And Christ was never a part of the picture. So I, I may have been to church services at some point, but by and large had no idea. I had never heard the word gospel before. I had no um, concept of community or biblical community Um, all the way to not understanding what Christmas was or even Easter was very confusing for me. Um, Bunnies and eggs and a cross. I had no um, capacity to even link those together and no one ever shared with me. Mm. Um, And so what that means is that I also did not have a concept of indwelling sin and the need to have something made of that Mm. and to have that made right. And um, so that looks the way it would for anybody. Um, There were poor decisions made um, for me when uh, by my parents. So they got divorced when I was 11 years old and I have an older sister and a younger brother. Um, And my dad moved away and my mom remarried and then my dad eventually remarried and they had a very um, volatile, hostile relationship, even in divorce. And so just really always felt completely um, irrelevant. Mm. I did. And like, it didn't matter or wasn't seen Mm. or known. Um, I, when I think about my childhood and my young adulthood, it's, it's like the only word I can come up with is confused. Mm. I was so lost and confused and had no clue that there was a good, that there was even goodness. Mm. Okay. So, um, then my, uh, so my parents were both divorced and remarried, um, and the lifestyle that my, uh, we lived with my mom and my stepdad, and that lifestyle was just real self-pleasing, do whatever you want. Um, and so in that case, when, when children are left to that, they make all sorts of decisions that are unhealthy, um, and we can use our imagination there. But, but the, the important things I, I think about are that I have no uh, understanding of honor, to honor my parents, to honor um, and respect other adults. I did what I wanted and when I wanted, and I didn't really care how it impacted anybody. Um, And I also didn't have much concern for my future, Mm. my body, my brain, my heart. I didn't even think about those things. And so I spent my time finding ways to try and find identity. Mm. Uh, So... That looked like everything from the environment that I was growing up with. So trying to be a part of the crowd and be a part of the the party crowd and with my friends. And then in college, that just continued seeking identity in my um, 
the, the decision I made for my major and just lost and confused, lonely, and really had no, um, I didn't really know that I was seen or loved or known at all. And ultimately, I think that's what I was looking for because we all are. Mm-hmm. So when I was um, a junior in college, I met my first husband, Tell is his uh, middle name, and that's what he went by. And I met him in a uh, kind of a strange way in that he um, he was on leave. He was in the military, and I was living in Montana at the time, and, um, and he was on leave. That's where he was from. And I met him, and he, um, he saw me for the first time. I guess that was what it felt like to mm. be seen and noticed, I guess. And so that's kind of, that's the story that leads up to, to, to kind of where my life was changed at that point. Um, but ultimately, I had a, when I think about now, I can speak quickly through my childhood, and some of us can. Mm-hmm. But really l- learning about what, how important it is in childhood mm-hmm. to, to be led well and loved well and cared for, um, there's a lot there mm. of pain and loneliness and sadness. So that's kind of how I grew up. And um, my brother, sister, and I, none of us knew the Lord at all. Mm. And um, wouldn't have even been looking for that. Mm. And we didn't, when I lived in 10 states, so I have to say that because I don't have a home state. I don't have all my family in one place. And I didn't grow up in the South. And so I know it sounds strange, but... um, it wasn't really even that unusual, to be honest with you. I wasn't surrounded by everybody going to church and everybody mm-hmm. being a part of a faith family, and I was outside and alone. I didn't know anybody that did that. Mm-hmm. And so if there were Christians around, I was not, no one ever told anything to me. Mm-hmm. So. And that really just signifies the importance of speaking the gospel. Uh, you know, I think of Romans 10, you know, how will they... How will they know of whom they have never heard? And how will they hear without someone preaching? Right. You know, if we don't preach the gospel and we just make this assumption mm-hmm. that almost by osmosis, people are going to know the gospel because we're living it. I mean, how how scary would it be to find out that as you're living this childhood, that there are next door neighbors that did know the gospel and never spoke it Absolutely. Uh, and never said it. I think just uh, that brief story highlights the importance that we can never assume that our next door neighbors, that people even in our sphere of influence know the gospel. We have to preach it. We have to speak it. Yes. Um, and it just also shows us we can never judge what's going on somewhere else, that it's healthy or safe. Um, so, you know, you get to this story, uh, you meet your first husband, and, and you, you, you signify it. So there's this turning point. Yes. Talk a little bit about how you went from lonely and almost, you said the word irrelevant, mm-hmm. To being noticed and then ultimately being noticed by a savior so talk a little bit about coming to know the lord and becoming a follower of christ so that is really it hits the nail on the head when he expressed interest in me i was completely flabbergasted how can this person who seems to have things together have any interest in me well he wouldn't he was relentless and and confident, and I was confused. Like, are you actually talking to me? Um, but I, I know the Lord had reasons for all of this, and so we. He came home on leave. I meet him. We have this week of just dinner every night, mm. and um, like on the phone forever because he was about to deploy on his first deployment to Afghanistan, and so I thought I would say, "See you later." And then that would have been a sweet thing and it would have just been gone. And he said, would you write to me? Mm. And I was, I could have written him a novel. Mm. And, um, and so we did, he was gone eight months. He was deployed eight months and we wrote almost every day. And I learned everything about him. He learned everything about me and wasn't scared off. And that was I had never been vulnerable with anybody before and, and shared some of the hard stuff that I had been through. Um, and he never, he, he seemed to be nonplussed by my brokenness. Mm. And so that just, 
I was, it was like a magnet. So he comes back and I'm going to fast forward because this like flip flopping, he was, he was gone and his, he was stationed in North Carolina at Fort Bragg. So he's with the 82nd Airborne. And I am in Montana or, and actually in South Dakota finishing nursing school. And so I basically saw him four more times when he had come home on leave from the time he got back from Afghanistan before um, up comes another deployment. And it was just about a year after we had actually met and um, he was home on Christmas block leave. And right on Christmas Eve, we're going out, they have a, a, a beef operation. So they live way out in the country in Montana. And so we're driving out there, it's like, it's, it's like 39, it's a long ways. And he pulls this truck over and um, he, he, he kind of goes on and on about the sunset. But anyway, he proposes to me. <laughs> and of course, I, I just had never thought anybody would want to commit to me. Mm. So I said, yes. And well, that evening he says, well, what if, uh, what if we eloped like tomorrow? <laughs> and I said, well, t- tomorrow's Christmas. Like I have, I feel like the the um, courthouse would be closed. And he said, "Okay, how about the day after?" And so we did. Mm. We didn't tell anybody, and that is not that is not the right way to do things. <laughs> to be honest, it seemed exciting, and I know mm-hmm. this is that mentality where you, nothing has consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did. I didn't honor my mom, but I didn't know to. But I, looking back, wow, that was mm. that's hateful. Um, anyway, we eloped. And he leaves for another deployment, and um, and he comes back. So this kind of goes back and forth, and we're but we're married, and we through the course of this new marriage, we move to North Carolina, and then we're settling in. And I am an army wife, <laughs> and I latch on because, and I as I was thinking over my this 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 particular this is my story. I figured out some things in the military. They give you an ID card. So you have something that says who you are and he's wearing a uniform. So he's known by the community as to what he's doing. Mm. My name is now his and I'm Gray's wife. So I'm called by his name Mm. and we have community gatherings. It's, it's the wives get together, the companies get together and it's this really tight community. And I had never experienced anything like that before. And I, without knowing these words, what I found was my identity and I ate it up. Mm. I was, I mean, using my ID card, I had access on post. I had access to the thing that was set apart, right? And um, so it was so important to me to be an army wife, and I'm so proud of him and what he did, and I was wrapped up in all of that. Well, in um, 2006, he, um, his unit comes up for another deployment, this time to Iraq, and, um, but this was going to be a fast one, just six months. The day he leaves, I find out I'm pregnant, the very day. Um, and I was very sick and now I'm going to have a human being and he's gone and at this point I was like I'm not so sure I like this anymore but um, he leaves and I do pregnancy by myself and um, but then he does come home he comes home December 2006 and he's home about 24 hours and they get word that they're actually going to go right back they didn't know that and we hadn't planned on that and I was going to have a baby. And um, so they, we had, we were supposed to have 22 days before they had to go right back mm. out of leave. And so we planned our honeymoon. We never got a honeymoon. Remember, we eloped. We didn't have a honeymoon. Um, and so we had planned our honeymoon, and we were going to go to D.C. He always wanted to see Arlington. He'd never been to D.C. before. And I, um, and I was excited, so we had our, our books and we got in the car and we're driving up the interstate and his cell phone rings and it's his, um, I think it's his platoon sergeant. And he says, they've cut it short. We're leaving in four days. Hmm. And so we had to turn around. We were right outside Richmond, Virginia, turn around. He was so mad. And I was so sad. Hmm. 
and this and and they were very upfront with them saying this is part of this surge where they were sending many more troops over at that time and there was no end date mm. don't even plan on an end date and i spent my life with him counting down to when he would come home mm. and so now we didn't have an end date um well he um and at this point i'm getting weary of all of this mm. well he leaves and from that time of when he left in january of 2007 until he came home on r and r um I mean, they just were going, he said it was just, there was a word he used for how hard they were working, like going. And he was an infantry soldier. And so they were, they were working in, in ways that there's combat. And I think he was weary too. Well, he, he was able to, to get an R&R, so um, rest and recuperation, I think mm -hmm. is what that means. Um, and they come back for two weeks. They get 14 days sleep. So he says, I'm going to try to plan it for when the babies do. And um, I said, okay, we'll try a little after so that I don't want you to like be here and then she be late and mm -hmm. then you don't get to see her at all. Well, he, he, she was late and he had scheduled it for after. So he was on speakerphone while I was on, <laughs> while I was in labor. So I had my first daughter with, with him far away and, um, and I kept telling myself, if he can go through ranger school, if he can be an infantry soldier, I can have a baby. This is easy. Who does this? Um, anyway, so he is home on R&R. &R. It was really hard. He comes in four days after she's born, and he smells. He hadn't showered since Baghdad. He was skinny, and he just looked like war. He smelled like it, I guess. And it was just hitting me hard. Like we're, we have a family and this identity that I have isn't serving me right mm -hmm. now. It's a sacrifice, mm -hmm. but I kind of mustered it up and thought this isn't worthy sacrifice. I mm -hmm. can do this. Well, those two weeks he was home, it's really hard. I mean, you're a dad mm -hmm. right after the baby's born is it's, it's not roses and mm -hmm. it's hard <laughs> and I hadn't seen him. And so I, I stood in the hospital room thinking I could like do side bends to make my belly go away. I was just, it was just the weirdest, most awkward time. And he's home for two weeks and I, and then he had to go. And I, I, I remember us kind of arguing because I was like, you're not going to be here. Let me do all of this by myself. He wanted to carry the bucket. And I said, let me do this by myself because you're leaving again. Yeah. And then he had to leave. And so he, held Ava and kissed her and kissed me. And we didn't say goodbye because we don't do that. And I said, you have to come home because look at this. Mm. And then he didn't. Yeah. And so five months later, so that was April, and then in September, and in those five months, it just got even more difficult. I'm having these new joys with a baby. Mm. Her smile. I took pictures on Memorial Day. Um, I bought a dress for her and then sent him July 4th and sent him all her firsts. He's mm -hmm. getting the pictures. Um, and this was way before FaceTime or Skype. None of, we didn't have anything like that. We had the phone and, that, and letters. Um, and they had, um, in August, they um, were on some mission and they had already lost a couple guys and then by August our dear friend and the guy who went to ranger school with Tell was shot in the head one time that they were out and um, and I know he was just weary and when that night that I found out about Jeremy being shot I got down on my knees I remembered this and I was praying I think but to whom Yeah, I don't know and I, I remember thinking it was a jinx sort of thing, this deal you have with God. If he's listening, don't ask for the things that you really want yeah. because you're not going to get them. So I never once asked. I never once prayed, please don't let him die. Yeah. I just said, please let him be strong. Mm -hmm. I, when I would do this prayer thing that I didn't really know what I was doing. But that night I, I got on my knees by my the computer and I prayed, God, 
don't, he can't die. I, I will die if he dies. Please don't let him die. And two weeks later is when I got a notification. So I was coming, this was September 10th, and it was, uh, I think it was right after Labor Day, and I had been at the beach with my mom in Oak Island, North Carolina. She was a traveling nurse. She asked if we'd come and spend the weekend with her. So I talked to him on the phone right before we left, and he said, um, I have to let you go so that you can get packed. And I love you, lobster. I love you, lobster. And please take pictures of Ava, her first time at the beach. And so we took her to the beach and put her little toes in the water. Her little hair was blowing. And I just was, I felt really melancholy that time. And really yearning mm. something, please. This is, a, I have a family, please, please. This is, this is safety and contentment, mm. please. And I, that night I laid there and I was laying in bed with my mom right before I went home the next day. And I remember laying there saying, this this can't change. I have Ava, I have Tell, please. And, um, and then the next day I drive home and I get her settled in her um, swing for nap time. And I'm getting on MySpace, remember MySpace? Mm -hmm. okay. I don't know, I didn't really care and Tell was never on there, but his friend was, it was in his platoon. And I always knew they were at the, the base if his friend had been online, because you could see when people were That's online. Right. Okay, he had been online for three days. And I hadn't heard anything. And I was really confused. And, and actually, a friend had called while I was driving back from Oak Island. And she said, have you heard if there's an accident? She had known something which she wasn't supposed to know. And she was calling to see if I knew, which is totally not um, the way things are supposed to be done there. So I had something inside of me was saying something's not right. And then the doorbell rang. And um, I... Um, Actually, I couldn't look out the peephole because I had a sign for fall at the door. And so I looked out the laundry room and I could see these two guys in uniform sitting on my porch. And there's no other reason why they stood mm. there. And everybody seemed like movies. And when they came and I opened the door and they say a, sh a spiel of some sort on behalf of the secretary. I don't know what they said, to be honest. <laughs> they say something. But I don't know what it was, but I knew what they were saying. And, um, and I just remember no coming out because this meant that I didn't exist anymore. Mm. Because if Tell didn't exist, I didn't exist. And so that mm. day was really hard. And it's still hard. I mean, it's been almost 12 years, and it's still hard for me to think about, um, obviously. But there was this weird, uh, I went into his closet and put everything that he had on me. And I smelled a shirt that I kept on my bed and sat there and sniffed it. And um, I stared at a picture of us. And I was like, this is not, this can't happen because Life doesn't exist mm. without this. I can't do this. And I, I threw up. I was sick. Mm. I mean, all this stuff, just this overwhelming grief. And they, they send in, it's interesting, they send in like a psychologist or something. <laughs> I, I don't understand. I, I wish I could go back and be like, what was the plan there? But I, he found me in, in the bathroom on the floor of the closet. And I was holding this picture. And he said, if you had a happy marriage, this is going to be terribly hard for you. <laughs> I don't feel like it was very helpful, but I've never forgotten that because I, he wasn't right. His prediction wasn't right, but not for the reasons, not because of a happy or unhappy mm -hmm. marriage. It's because God entered in. Right. God was always there, but he entered in and opened my eyes. Mm. And there actually came a piece that I would wrestle with what this psychologist said over time. Like, am I supposed to be more devastated than I am? Mm. But there came a peace because there was a turning point just a couple weeks after he died, which is when his funeral was, when I knew this was it. This When he goes into the ground, I die also. Mm. And if I didn't die, then that means I had to live. Mm. And um, at that point is when I felt I could 
go one of two directions. I can go the direction I was brought up to go, mm. which is make this this thing about grief, about how devastated I am. I could have fallen back into destructive patterns of sin that um, that would have been very comfortable and familiar to me um, to deal with grief. But something kept there. I could see a, a fork and something kept pushing me in this one direction. And then my a friend sent a sympathy card and um, her dad's a pastor in Mississippi. I didn't know this about her. Um, and so there was a bunch of verses on it. And I thought, I'm supposed to do something with this. And I started looking them up. I found a Bible. I think it was my mom's, which is all kind of weird. <laughs> I don't know where it came from. And um, started reading. And I was actually reading something that doesn't, now I see it doesn't apply to grief, mm. per se. It was Psalm 139. Mm-hmm. And it, I kept seeing you, you've searched me. Mm. You've known me. Since before I was in my mother's womb, you knitted me together. Mm. And I, at one point, I was thinking this was Tell speaking to me from beyond. and it, But that wasn't settling. Mm. It was something else, that somebody knew me mm. and that there was something that I needed to do in this direction. So it was started with the Word of God. And that's just how the Lord open my eyes to the reality that he is there. Wow. So even just for a recap, you know, you grow up feeling irrelevant. You find your identity in a husband and even, even more in being a a soldier's wife. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the ID card, the uniform, this husband who you love dies and you feel like you lose your identity yeah. only to be found in Christ. And how how beautiful the story of redemption yeah. our God is that through the peaks and the valleys, like you said, he was always there mm-hmm. um, watching over, caring for you. Even at the right time, having this friend, he didn't even know right. her dad was a pastor, sends you this card of all people. Um, and to put these verses on there that the Lord uses. And, and, and I hear what you say. Maybe Psalm 139 isn't what we read at funerals. Right. But we also know our God is a God of all comfort. Yeah. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we go through various trials in order to experience the comfort of the Lord in order to comfort others. And so God's word is comforting because it is that story that is your story, right. which is one of feeling irrelevant and lost and alone and having a God that ultimately pursues us. Yes. Wow. Like he used... The text that met the need mm. that was very specific. Right. He he used different texts for all people that we hear when they the, when the word of God somehow opens their their mind and their heart. And isn't it interesting? It's it's never the same one mm-hmm. because God He's crafted me, right. and He knew my deepest need was to to actually understand that I was that somebody saw me mm. and somebody that's infinitely eternal. And so that I, at first for a long time, I, I thought, how can I tell someone? Not when, once I finally was like, well, Psalm 139, that really wasn't the, wasn't the Roman, it wasn't the, it wasn't the picture of like um, a sinner in need of a savior. And in fact, that came later. It really did. That wasn't the way I um, came to Christ was through knowledge of sin. I did, but God said, he, in his wisdom, he met me in a place where I just was like the vapor. Mm. And I was ready to just disappear. Mm. Had I not had a little five-month-old, six-month-old baby, you know? Yeah. Praise God for his wisdom. Yeah. God is sovereign. Yeah. And we have to remember, he's at work in salvation. And so... In some ways, that's freeing for us as we go and tell others about Christ. It's not dependent upon what we say or how we say it or what we, or what we say or how we say it or where we go. But God knows those that he is calling to himself, and he will give us the words and equip us um, in those times. Okay, so it's 2007 in mm-hmm. September. 
um, you go through this funeral, and the Lord supplies a husband yes. in an unexpected way. Oh. So talk a little bit about So that. Rhodes Roberts um, first came onto the scene when during the deployment. Tell had said they got a new LT, a lieutenant. And um, he said he really liked him because he was a country kid like him. Even though he was an officer, he wasn't pretentious or um, arrogant or anything. And I remember thinking, that's nice news. Don't care. You know, but um, and when Tell was packing and leaving to come home to meet Ava is when Rhodes got there. Yeah. And he, Rhodes's first encounter with Tell was he knew of Gray. And he meets Gray, and he congratulates him on becoming a daddy. And so that's the – and then at, so after I learned about Rhodes a little later, tell, tells me that he's this new LT and nothing more. Well, the way that Tell was killed was in um, – they had uh, a big truck that carries all the platoon, and they were leaving a mission. And so they, they do the missions at night. They come home in the morning. Mm. And they're snaking around this barrier, and Rhodes is his his platoon leader, and so he's in the front seat of the truck. There's three men in the front, fifteen in the back. This big box, hunter box, is what it's called. And the driver kind of gets tripped up over a piece of concrete that's been blown off, and he kind of hits the gas, and actually drives the truck over an overpass. And Rhodes is in this truck and is sure he's, this is the end of his life. And it happens to be the end of Tell's life. Well, Rhodes was injured really bad um, and seven, seven of them died that day. Um, well, when everybody finally come home, I knew of the guys that had died, obviously. And then the guys that were injured. So I, I keep seeing uh, Lieutenant Robert's name. Um, but nothing really that that was that was kind of irrelevant. Well, we all then gather together when everybody comes home to have um, dinner at Texas Roadhouse. <laughs> um, I get st- and th- so there's so many of us. So everyone's kind of at different tables, and I get put at a table and Rhodes is at the table, and we're all sitting there. And by this point, so this is this is a couple months after the funeral, and just I'm just figuring out how to live every day, and I we get our food and he bows his head and asks a blessing over his food. And it doesn't seem like a big deal, but when a, you've never done that before Mm. and B, you know, that has something to do with this thing that you're learning. Mm -hmm. I just, something inside of me was like, I want to be his friend. He knows something I don't. Mm. And so I, I pursued friendship with him. And I wasn't. I didn't. I. I didn't come out and say, "Hey, I want to know about Jesus Christ," because I didn't know to do that. Mm. I just was like, "I want to be around this person who seems to know something I don't." And he was different. He was different than the soldiers that were so afraid. They were so sad because mm. Gray died and their friends died. But I know so many of them loved to tell, and Jess was. Off lit, like not off limits, as if I wanted to be on limits, but like so fragile. Mm. And all I wanted to do was talk. I needed mm. to, to talk. And so Rhodes became my friend, and we went grocery shopping. I had a baby, so what are we going to do? You know, we do I grocery shopping together. And I I was going to a church that I th- I thought you chose a church based on what it looked like. <laughs> so I chose a beautiful church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Well, um, I had bought a pink Bible a lady's Bible, and I would go to this church by myself and take Ava, and um, they didn't read it, it during the, the, the gathering. And in my little mind, I was like, aren't, aren't we supposed to be reading the scripture? I want to read this yeah. thing. So I asked him one time, and I said, hey, do they read the Bible at your church? And uh, he said, yes. And I said, can we come with you? And so I start going to the Baptist church. That's how that kind of <laughs> panned out. And uh, so we just start spending a lot of time together. And he's in Rhodes is not a, um, a talk, a talkative person. Um, unless you ask him questions, he's just, he likes to listen. And so I would ask a lot of questions 
And he would tell me, I mean, he grew up in a Christian home, generational, and had no concept of life outside of three times a week. And, you know, he was in the Bible drills and all the, I just didn't, he didn't know what life looked like without that. I didn't know what life looked like with that. And I wanted to know. So I asked him all these questions. So he, he essentially discipled me without it ever being on those terms. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I just asked and learned from him. And then, like I said, that strange piece, um, I remember very specifically talking to my sister and saying, I've been a married woman. I loved being married, but I don't, I don't want to live unmarried. And so I'm going to look in the Bible and see if it has anything to say about this. And it does. Mm-hmm. And I was excited about this. And so I called him up one night and I was like, here's the deal. I like you. And I don't really know what else to say, but there's that. And he was like, well, you're a pretty lady. And so we started just look, what does it look like to have a kind of a courtship out of grief? And by this point, I've learned about the sin aspect, right? Mm. What does it look like to date somebody that's in the eyes of that the Lord himself is watching your relationship? Mm. I never understood that before. Also, I was careful because I remember hearing things like, you could never love your husband more than God Mm. when I was married to tell. And I thought that was the most ludicrous thing I'd ever heard. And I was so careful. Because this God had met me. Mm. And so I tempered my emotions towards Rose through prayer. Mm. And please don't let me obsess. And so this identity was really shifting. Mm. I didn't just transplant it from Tell to Rhodes. It was identity in Christ. And this is a gift of relationship. Mm. And so that's how we then, and that went, and I told him, I don't want to do this dating for a long time. That doesn't make sense to me. We have a ready-made family. I want to have more kids. And so we just sped that right along and got married. <laughs> so, and it, was, it wasn't to the, the joy of people around us, especially in my family because I had a lot of unbelievers. And um, they, I was told I had been unfaithful to tell by re- wanting to remarry. So I, I learned a lot about how to go to the Lord with this stuff that, is hurtful right in the beginning and he taught me how that whatever my initial emotion is is not um is not right to go to him first and so then anyway that's how we got together and got married and um christ i both of us and he he had our obviously he had already always had planned on making christ the center of his marriage uh Rhodes did I didn't know that. So this has been this beautiful, now next month will be 10 years of how do we do this in a way that's not just happy based on emotion, but joy based on the gospel. And so that's, that's been our Amen. What a, what a story of redemption through so many twists and turns. Yeah. Uh, beautiful story that looking back, you see the beauty living yeah. in it. It's dark yeah. and treacherous. And lonely, yeah. as you said. Um, but again, we see just the, the weaving mm-hmm. of God's grace and the beauty of God's grace through that story. And so you and Rhodes are, are married. Mm-hmm. You have another daughter, yes. Ellery. Mm-hmm. And then you come to the decision as a family to adopt. Yes. And I think that's, even knowing your story, what a beautiful picture adoption is. Because really... Uh, Leona's story is very similar to your story in the sense that uh, she's an abandoned child, just abandoned by her parents in China. Um, you know that at some point in her life, she's going she's gonna to express yes. the feeling of not knowing what her identity was and being lost and being lonely. But now y'all have brought her in and in a sense given her that uniform yeah. and that ID card and a new name. And I know that you and Rhodes are praying even that one day she will come to this ultimate identity. And so these parallel stories of adoption. So even shifting through adoption with your story 
and the process of adopting Leona, what what are three things that you have learned through the adoption process? Oh, okay. The very first thing is that I am not the awesome mom I thought I was. <laughs> like that's it. It's not um, Ava and Ellery kind of came naturally to me to 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 do things my way, and they kind of just floated along because they were babies and. I was all they ever knew. Leona comes on the scene. She was nearly three when we adopted her. And I'm not mama. She doesn't know me. And no matter my tone of voice, how awesome I thought I could be, she's hurting. And so that, that, um, that's number one, really. I'm not the awesome mom <laughs> that I thought I was. And let me look. I, I have these written down, so I want to do number two. Special needs are real mm. and very hard, but so, so, so valuable. When we went through the process of the decision, which is ultimately this very strange place to be where you're ticking off, could I accept this or not? And in one part of you says, absolutely anything, anything, I'll take anything. And another part says, I don't know if we can. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know. It's just really, really hard tension. Well, bringing her home, expecting, when you're not supposed to have expectations, but you do, expecting this sort of cluster of issues. So cleft lip and palate is what she had. And that was kind of the only thing that they had noticed. Well, that's not the only thing. And now we have a picture of uh, a genetic abnormality, um, her, which is kind of open-ended without really any details. And I can't um, pretend that my awesome momness or whatever is going to do the meet her needs the way they need to be met Mm. her needs are real and they are special and that but that leads me to my third point because i wanted to say even though leona has like a legitimate diagnosis of these particular special needs Mm. it has opened my eyes to the needs of all kids Mm. whether there's anything identified or not whether they're biological Mm. or i was a biological child and i had trauma in my childhood and so many needs that I never would have considered to that somebody should have been meeting. So I see now, even through Ava and Ellery, who have no identified special needs, but they hurt. Mm. And they, um, it just has opened my eyes to kids are just precious Mm. in general. I think I could have said that before, um, but adopting has 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 kind of put this you this is at work mm. you're signing up to do and um, it's so hard but so so good what even just again thinking of your story and the beautiful nature of, of what you've said that you know really there comes Psalm 139 right back in the, the stage again um, that Leona even with her need is fearfully and wonderfully made, knitted together, made by God with great purpose. Mm-hmm. And in a sense, it's God's wave of just deep love and affection, like a quilt over your life. Mm-hmm. When you were in a home in situations where you didn't know you were special, you didn't know you were unique, you didn't know you were made in the image of God, mm-hmm. but now you have the opportunity to, to show this love mm-hmm. to three daughters, but specifically one who really started in a situation very similar, different, but similar. And so even looking at all of that, how has this adoption and and just walking through life with Leona really taught you more about the gospel and even changed your view of the gospel? Okay, so we are only Jesus Christ can fix broken. Mm -hmm. And the gospel is so clear in this because before God, we stand defiled, every one of us. And 
I, I think that through adoption, Leona, with every, every single, sometimes I see, I feel so, like this weird swelling of emotion toward her, and I can't even identify it. Because what in, in, in the world, what does she have going for her? She's defiled. Mm. She has nothing that says, I belong to anybody. Mm. She doesn't look like the rest of us in our family. She doesn't act like us. She doesn't know. She's completely broken. But so are all of us, as we try and stand before God without Christ, we are completely broken. And only Jesus can fix mm. that. He, instead of us trying to make ourselves clean enough, which I, I could have probably understood this, but even with Leona, we can take her and have the surgeries done, right? And all of us, I could, I could um, morally change my behaviors from when I was um, out, outside of, of God's grace, that understanding. But that, and Jesus himself calls it clean by what his sacrifice has done. He calls her that it doesn't matter if surgeries are done, if genetic um, diagnoses are even declared, if she ever grows to this stature or makes it into kindergarten or whatever the case is. She's beloved by God because he created her, and now I have a responsibility because I was beloved by God, and I was just as broken that I have a responsibility to walk with her, to have her eyes open to that beautiful thing. And so that's where I I was thinking about this. And now and I'm going to be specific to adoption here. No amount of self-help um, or can-do attitude. Mm. Because sometimes with kids, we feel like if I just have a can-do attitude, or if they just have a can-do attitude, this will all go away or this will all be fixed. Or Instagram, you know, pictures to make my family look beautiful before the world. Look at look at us. Look mm. at what we've done. Look at how different we are. Um, that doesn't cre- um, make whole any brokenness. Mm. And so that's been important to me because while I thought I understood adoption, it wasn't until I really got in the middle of it, and it's so difficult, mm. that I thought, if I have a professional picture taken of what my heart really looks like right now, mm. there's not a soul on social media that would be okay with that. Mm. This is hard. Mm. And that's not going to make me more um, grace-filled than coming before the Father and admitting that I need His help mm. and I need Jesus to guide me in how to be an adoptive parent. Mm. Amen. Wow. Um, so what an encouragement to, to see those words. And I, I think even as you come in and going back to the three lessons that, that, you know, you're not the awesome mom you thought you were, uh, that special needs are hard, um, and that the needs of, of all kids, you know, we also see this, this new creation idea that, that you've been knit into a new creation. And so even the things that the Lord has done in your life, has prepared you to be a mom to Leona. Um, all the all the all the graciousness through the gospel has prepared you there. And and just as I, I mean, I pulled this up because I, I just I think of Second Corinthians five as we as we talk through this whole story and what a picture this is. Starting in verse seventeen, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old is gone and the new has come. And all of this is from from God. Yeah who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And therefore now we are ambassadors of God. And so God made you into a new creation. And now you're, you and, and Rhodes are ambassadors of Christ in your home, and now specifically to Leona. And, but it, but you, you've touched on it several times, but it's not easy. No. And so just even as we end, you know, I think so many people are going to hear your story and just be encouraged by seeing the hand and the fingerprints of God yeah. all throughout your story. Um, but you said it over and over, but I don't have this whole thing figured out. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so what are some encouragement that you would have for other families that are struggling through adoption? Mm -hmm. Because some of the same words you brought up at the very beginning of your story that you felt irrelevant, that you didn't know what your identity was, and that you were lonely, even to Christian moms and dads, Mm -hmm. sometimes that's the way we can feel when we're parenting or even through this adoption journey. Irrelevant. Um, Where's my identity? Mm -hmm. Uh, and and lonely in this process. So what's some encouragement that you would offer to families who are struggling once they're returning home through adoption? Okay, so I have some practical ones. Um, If you have trauma in your past, when you do your application, when you walk through with your social worker and something inside of you says, well, yeah, 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 but I am a new creation and I don't, I'm okay now, I promise adoption will pull it out. <laughs> and so my encouragement, we, I got to a place with Leona that I was, I, the shame that I felt that I could not figure it out was so great. And I sat in a parking lot and called Lifeline to, for, about counseling. And I, and I was sobbing of sh- shame. What is wrong with me? We prayed for her. And um, and the, the counselor, she talked with me just a little bit, and she said, what you're feeling is normal. Come in. And what we've learned, so thinking that at first it was just about adoption, I'm learning that some of my hardships with, with her come from unresolved um, shame, guilt, patterns of, uh, the abuse and, and trauma that I had seen as a child. And even though, yes, I live in Christ and I am liberated. In fact, my family, my dad, mm. my sister, brother, believers walking with the Lord now, but something happens in this zero to 12 mm. time frame that if it's not walked out, when you begin to walk with someone else that has brokenness, especially your child, um, it's going to pull it out and, so my very practical is just plan, start counseling mm. and plan on it. There is no, I thought it was going to be shameful to do mm. counseling. Turns out I tell every single person I know I have grown mm. and learned. And then these victories with Leona are enormous mm. and we celebrate them. And I see what God is doing as I pray and ask, mm. Oh God, help me to see her in this way. Change me. Because I'm not meeting this, and I, I, I hear it. I went through the training. I did it all. I watched the videos. It all made sense. But in the moment, if you don't, if you have some trauma, you've got to be able to come back to say, this comes from a deeper place. Mm. I am safe. She is safe. We're safe. Open your eyes. And so counseling is so important. So I would recommend to anybody that has any hard time, please, please feel encouraged to seek counseling, biblical counseling, that teaches you who you were and that the Lord, what the Lord has done and that you can manage and deal with that. Anyway, so that's my first one. And then the second um, um, piece of encouragement I, I would give, and this is not, uh, I know on social media there's a lot of groups. I think there were. I've actually been off of social media for over a year now. Actually, April 1st, it's not that much farther over a year. But I needed to back off because there. I was told there's all these groups. Be part of this adoption group and this and that. That may be very encouraging to some. For me, I couldn't touch them. And it didn't feel real. And there was still like, there was still this dichotomy of that's a private group. And here's, here's our mess. But here's what I'm actually putting out there. Mm-hmm. And I, I really struggled with that's not real. Mm-hmm. So my encouragement is to counseling, but also be real. Talk with people that are your safe people, so small group or in your, in your church. If there's people that have adopted, say, can I walk with you physically with this? If they will allow that. That's been really helpful for me um, because I need to know and see, look in the eyes of somebody else in their heart and be like, we're doing this together. And I know that's not practical for everybody because they don't all live in an environment where that's maybe as large as what we see here in Birmingham. But um, 
ask God to bring safe people into your life that will walk with you through the mess mm. and then and, and with counseling. And honestly, ask the Lord to help open your eyes to those victories, mm. as small as they may be, and then with every ounce. And I could just cry because the things that are victories in our home probably don't seem like much. But when, like, when I can hear her crying and feel a tenderness toward it, this is huge. Mm. And, and know what to do. Know where it's coming from. Mm. And see her as that. Because I can say it, um, but when, you're, when it's, the crying hasn't stopped and you don't know why, and all your little tips that you've done with your other kids <laughs> aren't working, you need to be able to say, hey, Lord, you've taught me these things through counseling. Help me to open my eyes to see who she is, that you love her dearly. And then help me to have a response right now. Maybe tomorrow will be different, but right now. And then celebrate it with your spouse, with your kids. And there's no, do not be ashamed of the tiniest little victories and make that a big deal in your family and celebrate it with her. Um, that's my encouragement. I hope that's not discouraging because I have had a hard time. But man, um, seeing him hear my prayers. I was on the floor after Tell died with this um, wrenching sobbing that gripped every muscle in my body. And I never thought I would cry that hard again. And I never thought I would feel that desperate um, nearly 12 years ago. But several months ago, I was in the same position by my bed in fetal position saying, Oh God, what did I do? How did you let me do this adoption? I'm not fit for this. And he met me in that place just like he met me before because he cares about not just Leona, but me too because he's, he's knitted us together as a family. And so he hears your prayers. He really does. Wow. Well, amen. And I think just as we close, a couple of things that you even said there that I just want to highlight again and make sure that, that, that mamas and daddies aren't missing this. You know, you felt at a desperate place in the parking lot and you made a call. And the thing that you were told is what I want to tell every mom and dad, what you're going through is normal. Yeah. Uh, and so please call and please get help. Yeah. And please don't think that it's abnormal yeah. or that there's something wrong with you or that you're broken and go into a deep spiral of despair and not share that with anyone else. Yeah. And even as you said, second is get with your small group and your cluster. And so just know that we are standing here ready to equip your church. So if you're not at a church like the Roberts are, where there is an impactful group and there are people ready to, to be that, that, that safe place and to be that small group of accountability, please call us today because we want to help your church be that place. And it doesn't matter if your church is 100 people or 5,000 people. Uh, we, the Lord has given us resources, Equipped to Love is one that's right now on Right Now Media that can help those in your church and in your small group understand those things that you're going through to let you know that these are not abnormal, these are normal. And then just something that you said that I want to make sure, and you didn't actually say this word, but it's a word that I know is, is stirring in the mind of really every mama. Uh, biological mama as well as adopted mama, and that is comparison. Oh. And so, ladies, do not compare yourself to others. God has uniquely made you. He's uniquely formed you. I tell my sweet wife all the time, you need to get off the blogs and you stop reading and comparing yourself because everybody's got junk and everybody's uh, uniquely different. And God has made you for who you are today in order to be who you need to be for your children and your family. Wow. And so trust in him that if you're seeking him, now if you're not seeking him, that's off on that. But if you're seeking the Lord, then he will use you in a special, unique way for your family with all your junk and with everything that you have. The grace through you to your children is immeasurable. And then certainly last but not least, just what you said there is to celebrate victories. We need to celebrate every victory and give it to the Lord because these victories are His. And so uh, just as we close our time together, I think again at Galatians, Galatians chapter 3, and this just kind of summarizes your story. Um, you know, now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. 
For in Christ, we are all sons of God through faith. For many of you are baptized into Christ and put on Christ. So we are no longer Jew nor Greek, free nor slave, male nor female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. Well, thanks for joining us, Jessica, and we are so grateful that you took the time to tell your story. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Podcast to make it easier for more people to find. For more information how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, visit us at lifelinechild.org. If you want to connect with me, please visit herbienewell.com. Follow us at Lifeline on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again next week for the Defender Podcast.